Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have Joy Forrest back on today's episode. If you didn't hear last week's episode, go back and listen to that first. You'll hear her bio there and all the amazing things she's done. We're just going to jump right back into our conversation. You and I both have physical abuse, right, as part of our stories. Mine is a very minor incident and yours more so. Some women have a lot of it and some women have none. So let's talk about victims of emotional abuse and psychological abuse and sexual coercion, which the result of that is betrayal trauma for the victim. Can you talk about what services you offer for victims of that type of abuse? Well, basically, I really don't differentiate. I used to run support groups at the domestic violence shelter, and the women would say, I would rather he hit me. (laughs) I would much rather he hit me because at least I know he's going to back off. To me, the emotional abuse can be so much worse than physical, depending on the type of physical abuse from time to time. Well, because it's very clear if someone punches you in the face. But when someone is gaslighting you and or manipulating you and lying, you feel like you're going crazy and you don't know what is really going on. And I think that is why it's worse. I don't differentiate either other than if someone's being physically abused here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery, then we also, we ask them to schedule an individual session with Coach Renee so that she can help them get physical services from law enforcement or a physical domestic violence shelter in their area simply because it's really scary. But I think any emotional or psychological abuser can start physically abusing at any time. So I don't want women to think, oh, he's not physical and and so I'm physically safe. I would say there are so many stories of men who are psychologically and emotionally abusive only until they murder their wife, something like that. And so I don't think that we should say that, okay, well, if he hasn't hit you, then you're quote unquote only dealing with emotional abuse. And so you're physically safe. So I just want to put that out there because no one is physically abused without being emotionally and psychologically abused. Yes. And actually that's the thing is that we don't know. It's usually when you decide to leave them or something like that, it becomes far more dangerous. But I have seen situations that there was never any incident of physical abuse. I've got a friend here whose husband 
was just emotionally abusive, just emotionally abusive for 11 years. She left and went to her parents' house. He stormed in and killed her parents and left her for dead. And then we had a woman on our board a while back and the same thing happened. He came in and just shot her. And so we never want to take it lightly. And if you're living in fear, then there's always that potential. And there's something called a lethality assessment that you can take. I just recommend, even if it's solely emotionally painful, it still behooves you to look into how dangerous it could possibly be. Sometimes people think I'm done, I've had it, I'm getting out. And that can actually endanger you by going and saying to them, I'm leaving. So we just want them to know the potential. And that's why we, at least a betrayal trauma recovery, we have our groups and we have other things, but if that fear is there, like getting help from your local resources is really important, like law enforcement or other things, because you really need a team of people to help you escape, I think is really important to to know what all the risks are. So talk about betrayal trauma at Called to Peace Ministries. How do you guys view that? Well, I mean, I think that just abuse in and of itself is a huge betrayal of the bond that we are supposed to have. It is our most intimate relationship usually, and clearly which domestic abuse happens. And so there's nothing like that. It's such a deep wound, but it's so beautiful to me. When I was going through it, um, I had a really terrible incident happen one day and I'm saying, Lord, nobody knows what this feels like. Nobody understands what I'm going through right now. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit dropped all over me and I could feel Jesus saying, I know, I know what it's like to be betrayed by somebody I love. I know what it's like, you know, to have somebody that I trusted turn on me. He was betrayed. So we have a God who understands. And so what we do is we just focus on reconciling them to God, letting them know that he understands the pain that they're going through. And to be honestly, people, when we're experiencing betrayal trauma, a lot of times it's people, they don't appreciate us. They see us more as objects and possessions than partners. And so it's just a really difficult thing to deal with. But um, we do look at restoring them and their relationship with God quite often, because I haven't seen a woman yet who's come through this kind of thing that came out with her faith intact fully. A lot of them may have faith. I still had a lot of faith, but I also was really questioning God's goodness. If he's good, then why is he allowing this to happen to me? And so, you know, helping them move past the sting of that betrayal and to understand that there is somebody who is on their side. Mm -hmm. Especially if you followed all the counsel of your church, you know, in my church, it's that you obeyed the commandments and that you got married in the temple or, you know, that you made these covenants or whatever, and that you were chased before marriage and that you picked a godly man. You're like, I did all those things and now it didn't protect me. None of those things protected me. And so that's, is really a tough place to be. Here at Betrayal Trauma Recovery, we talk about pornography as a domestic abuse issue repeatedly. I take a lot of heat for that. A lot of people are like, ah, she's gone too far. Or what are you talking about? It's not abusive. Can you talk about the correlation that you see between pornography and domestic abuse? Yes. I would say that I have had some kind of interaction with at least 2,000 victims of domestic abuse. And I would say that 95% of their husbands were involved in porn and sexual infidelity, things like that. And the interesting thing is I definitely think they go hand in hand, whether or not somebody wants to define it that way, they go hand in hand because the heart behind domestic abuse is 
basically objectifying the partner is objectified. They are not seen as people, but they're seen as possessions. And that is exactly what porn does. It's looking at women as objects. I mean, we know that even pornography changes and rewires the brain in the way that men can have intimacy with women if they look at it enough, right? But we know that abusers have mindsets that are, again, they're loaded with pride and entitlement. And again, porn to me is also an entitlement issue. Like I can look at anything I want to anytime. There are no rules for me when it comes to this department, right? So um, again, I just think that there is a very strong correlation and it is definitely the same mindset that you see with everything that's listed there on that power and control wheel that I talked about. It is the same kind of mindset. Yeah. And that's what I say. You may not say this, but I think that it's better to view pornography as an abuse issue because of those reasons, because you've got the objectification, the feeling that you don't have control unless you have control over that type of mindset that means that if you're in a relationship with a porn user, with an active porn user, then there's going to be some kind of abuse going on. At the very least, uh, a consent issue if you're not aware of his porn use. If you think, oh, our relationship is chaste because you're going to church and he's not giving you the opportunity to give consent because he's withholding information, at the very least, that's a sexual coercion issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially these guys who are addicted to porn, I haven't heard it described that way. So it's something for me to think about. It really is because again, I know that they're extremely interrelated. They're they go hand in hand and they have with every, almost every case I've ever seen. And the ones I didn't see, I always suspected it too. Absolutely. Yeah. Personally, but I'm just so sick of it being a, an addiction issue, although it is addictive, right? It's definitely addictive, but the way that the pornography addiction recovery community and the way that maybe pastors or, or th therapists are asking the victims of abuse to interact with their abuser instead of seeing it that way, they're saying, okay, be supportive of his recovery. He's going to have relapses. Well, that's just another abuse episode. So you're essentially asking an abuse victim to tolerate abuse and you're not really wanting to hold this abuser accountable. And it's super dangerous for victims. And it also doesn't do the abuser any favors. It's really not helping him change at all. Yeah, absolutely. There should be zero tolerance for that. Just like there should be zero tolerance for abuse. And you know, how that looks is it's also very carefully navigated because it can endanger you when you say no or when you say no to certain things. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. And now back to our conversation. We've talked a bit about the church and the trouble that the church is having in recognizing abuse, in responding to abuse, in holding abusers accountable, as well as not being manipulated by the abuser, right? We see so many pastors, bishops, church leaders who are being manipulated and groomed by abusers in order to see them as a really good guy. With your work with churches, how is it going? 
what do you think are the specific challenges that churches are facing? Just like you were mentioning that abusers can be extremely charming and charismatic and they can quote the scripture very well. And so that's the hardest part is when you've got an abuser who is so convincing. But we have seen a difference just in the last four or five years. Well, three to four years, maybe more so. I don't know what did it. It might've been the Me Too movement, but suddenly I, I felt like, you know, I've been doing this work since 1997. When I worked at the domestic violence shelter, we reached out to churches and basically they said, well, we don't have that kind of problem in our church. And I said, I beg to differ. But what in recent years, um, just we have had so much more interest in more people coming to our training. In fact, we have a training coming up. We do a quarterly trainings for pastors and ministry leaders. And we have one coming up this week and we have about 130 people signed up. When I used to do this at the shelter, we would be lucky if five people showed up. So it is changing. They're starting to listen now, I think. And I'm not saying that they're all getting it because every week we hear a story about somebody who got kicked out of their church for leaving an abusive person. We still hear those stories, but more and more are hopping on and they're starting to try to learn and they're starting to defer and refer out to people who have expertise in this area because I tell people it is counterintuitive because a lot of times the victim will look so scattered, so stressed that they don't seem to be very stable. And you've got an abuser who is such a conniver and a manipulator that he looks very stable. And so it can be very confusing. And that's why you really need to bring in outside resources like advocates and domestic violence experts who can help you navigate the situation. And that's kind of what we're doing at Call to Peace. We're trying to help the churches navigate those murky waters that, where it's just not clear. Where I see there's still a problem is sometimes people will go to one two-hour training and go, okay, well, we had a training on domestic abuse. Let's get started. And they are still not equipped because it is very complex issue that you cannot just get a very short training on and then jump into. You want to involve people who really know what they're talking about. I agree. A lot of people will say, well, okay, so tell me how porn is abusive or something. Or they'll be like, well, what do I not know about domestic abuse? And I'm like, you've got to go in 10 minutes or a half hour or something. And just an hour training or even talking to someone is just not going to help because you have to know what that grooming looks like and what it sounds like and what it is because it's so hard it's even hard for victims to recognize the difference between a safe person and someone who says they're safe so for example an addict in quote unquote recovery it's very difficult for a victim to be able to decipher those things and if they're checking off all the boxes they're going to 12 step they're going to church you know it's very difficult for people to really ferret out what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's one of the reasons we started the church partnership program so we can go in with them and, and talk to them. One thing we also recommend is that if a church really wants to get a better understanding and to handle domestic abuse well, that they send people from their congregation to become advocates. So we have a lot of churches who are actually sending people through our advocacy training and that is making a huge difference in churches because we've got to have the boots on the ground somewhere. You know, you and I, we cannot do it all from our desk, wherever we may be. And even with our support groups, it's great. But we need people to get on the front lines and help these folks. And that's what advocates do. 
It's so interesting to me that we both have a similar story where we, and I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again, that we tried to go for help. We couldn't find it. And then basically we've dedicated our lives to helping women get the resources that weren't available for us. You know, I wanted to get the word out, like don't go down pornography addiction recovery road without being well, well educated and understanding abuse. Go down the abuse road and then your questions will be answered and you will be more safe more quickly, right? That was my goal. After being in that pornography addiction recovery space for years and years and years and never being able to get help and never having these things identified as abuse, for me, that was a big deal. So to conclude, if a woman is kind of concerned that abuse might be too strong of a word for the quote unquote great husband that she has, who just has a couple problems. Maybe his only problems are he's got an anger problem in her eyes and a porn problem, but really he's a really good guy. And also it's because when he was a kid, you know, he was abused or some other thing. For women who just, they can see these abusive behaviors, but they can't quite wrap their head around, this is his character. He has an abusive character. What would you say to them? Well, you remember I talked about going out to Omaha, Nebraska to this program, and I told the guy who was facilitating our little workshop, it was a a week-long intensive, and I said, you know, he just loses it. He can't control his anger. He just flips out, and he starts breaking things, and he goes, well, wait a minute. So when he's breaking things, whose stuff does he break? Does he break your stuff only or his stuff and everybody's stuff? And I said, well, it's mostly just my stuff. And then he says, does he flip out on people at work like that? And I said, no, not really. He said, well, then that tells me that he's got control over this. He's choosing this behavior. Again, back to where I talked about earlier, that step number one to healing is admitting the truth. And a lot of times the truth is ugly. We have to admit that ugly truth before we can embrace beautiful truths. And the truth is that he is using kindness to manipulate very often. It is not that he's losing control at all. It's that he's using, whether it be anger or kindness, he's using both to control. Yeah. He's not out of control. He is asserting control in those moments. Yes. Yeah. And that was a very painful eye-opener to me. It was a very needed one for me to finally move towards healing. Yeah, I agree. That was a big one for me too. All of these concepts are really, really important. And like we said, it's not something that you can just get, you know, (laughs) like from one podcast episode or two podcast episodes, but a really good like Bible for abuse is of course, Lundy Bancroft's book. Why does he do that? And also organizations like Joy's and Betrayal Trauma Recovery and other organizations that our whole purpose is to educate women about abuse and help them move towards safety. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode, Joy. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 